What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Welcome to Game Over Juniors, not Montreal. I almost said Montreal, but you know what? It feels a little bit different because the team in, well, I mean, I guess they weren't wearing red, but red and white primarily won the game. And uh, what a game it was. Absolutely wild first period and uh, a little bit more low key towards the end there, but uh, still a good game for Team Canada. I'm joined today by Mitch Brown and Tony Ferrari. So let's welcome them in right now. How's it going, boys? Who's going to be the first to go? (laughs) You can go ahead, Mitch. Why not? Uh, I need to pick up a coffee habit, I think. I think that's where I'm leaning after today. Yeah, and I I need to increase my coffee habit. That's already pretty bad as it is. Well, I'll I'll tell you what, guys. I think I've got you beat because uh, my youngest woke up last night at 2.30 in the morning, and he never went back to sleep. So uh, I'm running on fumes here. (laughs) We won't talk about what's in the mug today. (laughs) <laughs> all right so uh i think it's a pretty wild game obviously uh we, we talked a little bit while i was setting the stream up uh, mitch was saying like a very typical canada first game in the world juniors a little bit nervous a little bit uh reckless and they were pretty sloppy especially on the defensive side uh, lots of like goal mouth scrambles throughout the game in the offensive zone that uh, some of them they got their sticks on some of them they just kind of like whacked and whacked and it didn't really work out but in this specific tournament where I think you look at the two groups and it's very clearly like one group is very hefty and one group is not no disrespect to Czechia, who I think put up a really good fight in the first period. I think it's important for Canada to get that little bit of worry out in the first game and the, the Czechs put them up against it a little bit and they had to climb out of it, scored five straight goals to end the game do you guys see it that way or is this just a sloppy start i think it's yeah. just a sloppy start go ahead Tom. yeah i think it's just a sl- yeah we're gonna do this all night uh no i think it's just a sloppy start by canada i think we we saw how disjointed they were from the defense to the forwards they mentioned it on the broadcast and and then as you kept watching it just it never really improved even throughout the rest of the game they just happened to get that heater of five on three power plays where Owen power dominated and that that five minute stretch there was kind of really what won them the game. Other than that, I don't think like they were they obviously won the shot battle and everything in the possession battle, but it wasn't as dominating over a, a win over a Chechia team that I didn't think was going to be that good. And and in all honesty, they weren't outside that first period. Yeah, I think the one thing that I look at it as a positive is you go into that first game and people are talking about Connor Bedard. How much is he going to play? By the end of that first period, it was clear that his diminished role or like small role was going to grow significantly. So I see that as a bit of a positive that they're actually going to be forced to play their more skilled players here. And they figured that out relatively early. And I liked Dave Cameron's decision to call a timeout when it was three to one and just kind of settle things down a little bit. And uh, I was not too keen on the second goal that Garand allowed. I thought that he was really slow getting over to that post. You don't often see goalies get beat low 
to the to the post there but uh overall i thought he settled in decently as the game went on as well not that the checks had that much pressure but there are like a few things despite the fact the defensive issues never really cleaned up the whole game long that were moving things in a positive direction yeah i mean overall i think you come away from this game being happy with the committee effort uh i tracked data for this game and Every single player except for one either set up or shot a scoring chance in this game at five on five. Uh, and you got big contributions, not just from Owen Power on the back end, but Olin Zellweger had two or three good looks. Uh, Kaden Gooley set up two chances with great passes in, inside the slot. So, you know, you do have a lot of good little things to take away from. You also had some of the, you know, the early energy that they created through their physicality and forecheck didn't really cost them until the end of the game with Justin Sortif. Um, Jake Neighbors, Ridley Gregg, they managed to keep everything in check. And o- overall, like, I think it's a good game to build off of. It was a very sloppy, inefficient performance. Like, even if you look at their work in the offensive end, there were a lot of pucks just being thrown into the slot with no one really there. Ken Johnson had a couple of them uh, as usual. So that's something that, you know, he's, he's a star player. He's supposed to be the guy who's going to lead this team up front after McTavish. And he needs to be, you know, be able to connect plays a little bit better than he was overall though. Like I think mostly a positive thing, mostly. Mostly just the defense needs to be cleaned up significantly. I actually, I was writing notes on the game and I was literally writing a note. that was like the D zone turnovers. Kendall was very lucky that it wasn't costing them. It was like one, nothing at the time. And as I finished writing it, it wasn't a D-zone turnover, but they immediately allowed a goal, and then obviously two more right after. Uh, the sloppy play on defense, it kind of lends... I know we talked about this on Game Over Montreal, uh, I think when Tony was on, about uh, the choices that they made and who was and wasn't invited to camp based on defensive responsibility, we'll say, or like unpredictability. It seems like they've still got plenty of that in the lineup so far. This yeah, is this it, is what happens when you take players who tend to be more defensive specialists. Um, that's always just an inevitability. Uh, Caden Gooley had a very strong game with the puck, and he still had like three or four missed passes, a couple of them unpressured. Donovan Zabrango had a couple of rough ones. Uh, Carson Lambos as well. So it's going to be... You know, they need a lot of down low support from the forwards, high activity. They do have a lot of guys who like to bring that, but lots of short support is going to have to be the is going to have to be the big thing on the breakout going forward. Yeah, I think that was going to be my point, too, is that like we're obviously going to look at this game and go, oh, and power had a hat trick, the first defenseman to ever do that for Canada. But there were a number of times where he was giving the puck away in the defensive zone or he got he got beat outside or inside. He, he kept getting beat. And it was like, man, those defensive deficiencies throughout the entire defensive core were still there. And and as Mitch said, like they're going to need those guys like Mason McTavish and and even guys that aren't necessarily known for that, like Kent Johnson, to come down and be that defensive support system for them because they don't really have the, the most dynamic defense core back there in terms of being able to move the puck quickly. And it kind of, it seems like Canada does this a lot and I don't want to get too hung up on it in the first game, right? (laughs) Because it's always like, it's the first game, it's junior hockey. It's always a little bit sloppy, but when you have the ability to just outskill teams and you choose not to based on the team that you build, it's come back to bite Canada many times in this tournament and others Hopefully it doesn't this one, because I think we're all, you know, not unbiased observers here uh, on Game Over Juniors, because we're all from the same place here. And 
I think we all want to see Canada win, but uh, this game didn't lend a lot of confidence to the defensive efficiency of that decor, despite the fact that they seem to be pushing the idea that some guys that were really highly offensively skilled weren't allowed on the team because they were defensively deficient. Uh, Owen Power, let's talk about him a little bit because, like you said, he was not amazing on the defensive end. On the defensive end, but in the offensive zone, I thought that he really had some magic going tonight. Uh, not necessarily like com like incredibly dynamic or anything. He wasn't, you know, like breaking down teams like prime Eric Carlson or anything. But what I noticed is that when he was out out there, Canada maintained control. They were just very long possessions. He was making smart plays with the puck. He was always where he needed to be and benefited tonight with the first hat trick, as Tony said for Team Canada defenseman ever in this tournament. Yeah, I'm sure like Mitch's data kind of lends to this a little bit more, but I think that that one stretch in the second period there where he kind of used those five on three to his advantage. And and then you saw the the little between the legs shot he had as well on the, on the rush as he kind of drove the middle lane and got a pass to the middle. But it, it was a lot of guys facilitating for him and him taking advantage. And to his credit, he did a good job of that. But I, I think I, I'd love to hear Mitch's take on, on his game overall too. Yeah, I kind of have it as the opposite way, where he was the one who was facilitating for everyone else. Uh, he got the he got on the end of it on the power play, but at five on five, his activation was crazy in this game. We're talking like four checking, well timed yeah. weak side pinches, you no, know, just always being involved in the play, and not to the point where like he's chasing the puck, but to where he's merely an extension of what the forwards are trying to do, and so he's able to play this sort of like free flowing style hockey that then links all everyone else on the ice together. And that's kind of what makes power so special, right? And he has the passing skill, the deception. He had that great look in the, in the late second period, I think, cross slot after he beat a guy from the point. So when you put all that together, you get a guy who can both facilitate and create. He has dynamic qualities, and he can do lots of great things with the puck and just be a force overall. Defensively, it's, it's a lot more adventurous. He's still, you know, is the defense is still very much a projection with him, right? He's big and mobile. You expect him to be able to correct a lot of mistakes through virtue of reach and whatever. Um, but currently there are some, you know, off the rush gap issues. There are some pivoting issues still that linger, but I mean, he's a first overall, he's a first overall pick for a reason. And he looked every bit the part of it tonight. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you there. And, I noticed, like, the thing that I noticed the most was the extending the possessions and what you were mentioning, Mitch, like, uh, just pinching at the right times, making the right moves, keeping those ozone possessions going. Um, speaking of passing skill, one guy that I did notice out there a lot, especially once Team Canada was down, was Cole Perfetti, specifically for his vision. He seemed to be the guy, I don't, I don't want to say he necessarily cued the comeback or anything, but he was a huge part of what gave Team Canada success out there tonight. Go for it, Mitch. <laughs> you guys, are, you're both afraid I'm, to talk over each I'm other. Just, I'm just trying to figure out the timing here on, on how Tony wants to exchange this. And I'm like, okay, one time he's going first. All right, so I'll just sit back and let him go. But no, so Perfetti <laughs> is... Uh, Perfetti is a bit of a hockey genius, right? Like this is the big thing. He's the type of player who, when most guys speed up, he slows down. Like he operates within like the, the creases of the game that don't really tend to exist anymore because everything is go, 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 be fast, straight line. Um, and he really, really came alive. Like he had a few passes or whatever that just missed, like not a huge deal, 
but he really came alive and just like moving the puck to his teammates at the right time, drawing pressure towards him, delaying, you know, he's so good at coming in the zone, slowing down or cutting across guys, backing the defense up or making them overshoot and then finding someone behind him. And on top of that, like this guy has incredible goal scoring instincts. Like he might not be like a 30 goal guy in the NHL, like consistently, but just the way that he's always in space arriving to it at the perfect time means that he can finish off plays. And he also uses that just as he did in this game to make the extra pass to set up an even better look. Yeah. I think that was going to be my point was how smart he is with the puck and how, how much he's able to kind of direct traffic. And I think it was the second own power goal where they were both up at the point above the circles and he directs power to go to his one timer side just so he can get the puck to him. And then a couple of plays later, he's a guy that's kind of facilitating to the outside on the half wall. And then right at the right moment, he gets to the front of the net and tips the puck on net and just barely misses from scoring. So I think that's really what his game is. Like, like Mitch said, he's not necessarily the guy that goes a hundred miles a minute. He's not going to be the guy that, uh, drives defenders back with his speed. He's going to be the guy that manipulates the defense with his mind and kind of dictates the way the game is played that way. So you're saying he's a Jedi? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, it checks out. Would it be unfair to say that Shane Wright didn't stand out in this game? No, absolutely no. not. I think that's the right take. <laughs> yeah, I got a number of texts from friends in the industry, and they were like, does Shane Wright look like, look like his feet are heavy? Does Shane Wright look like he's not moving well? And whatever it was, he just wasn't a guy that really stood out among a group of guys that did have a few standouts, like Cole Perfetti, Owen Power, Mason McTavish, who we'll probably get to in a minute. But yeah, it was just kind of a game where he was almost just a guy, which isn't necessarily something you want to see from a guy projected to go as high as he is. He had a, he had a strong night on the four check. Like that's the one thing that I think he did a little little bit well. Like here's a stat: he had zero controlled entries at five on five this game, which is insane for a guy who generally gets all of the controlled entries in junior hockey. Uh, and it's not like he didn't play a bunch. So you know this is with Wright. This is a bit of a continuation of of what's going on in Kingston, or at least in the early stages. But I also still think, you know, he's once he gets the timing down of his teammates, once he understands what they're going to do, uh, he's really going to take off. We'll see, though. You know, it's early. It's been a tough year overall for him, I think. So is it possible with Wright that the issue is kind of, uh, you know, he's used to being the most skilled guy. And now that he's got a lot of heavy skill around him, he might not be holding the puck as much. It's possible, I guess, but I, I don't think Wright's ever really like, he's always had a lot of skill. He's always had the the d- dynamic element to his game, but he's never been a guy that relies on that. Like you look at Kent Johnson, I could see a, that being an issue for a guy like him. But with Wright, he's always been a guy that kind of makes the right play at the right time, kind of understands what he has to do and, and in this game. I don't know if it was just, hey, the, these are se- more senior guys that understand what their role is a little bit more and let me kind of fill in for them or what it was. But yeah, he just didn't really seem. I don't want to say comfortable, but he wasn't really himself in this game. He he defers a lot, even in Kingston, yeah. even when he's the top guy. And so I don't think this is too surprising. Like if if we didn't have, you know, the the his 15-year-old season and the first half of this season in Kingston to work off of, it would be like, yeah, this is this is terrifying for a variety of reasons. But since we know that this is generally what his game looks like, he's just a super, you know. Like he's a super high end version of what essentially amounts to a relatively simple skill player. Like simple skill is not a bad thing. Patrice Bergeron is 
a simple skill guy in terms of how he plays. He's in the middle of things rather than at the end of things. He's making, obviously he's making high skill plays, but he's making them, you know, typically at, you know, like mid range distance instead of making these long cross ice passes or these dynamic rushes based on foot speed and handling skill. Um, So, you know, the cards might be kind of stacked against him to stand out here, but on the other hand, like, you know, you got all this talent. This is the most talent you've played with since Don Mills. Like you should be, you should be creating everything. I mean, this could all be like completely, completely worthless analysis in like three days after they go Austria, Germany back to back. So who knows? Yeah. He'll end up with like seven points or something like that. And yeah. then we'll all, you know, hang our heads and be like, all right, it was one game we're overanalyzing, but this is what we do. This is what this industry is all about, right? As we overanalyze and we, not necessarily jump to conclusions, but we try to figure out what's going on. And sometimes we get ahead of the curve and sometimes we bite too hard on something, but we try to be cautious and talk about what we know and what we see. Uh, Speaking of that, it was just reading the Twitter timeline as the game was going on every once in a while. I noticed uh, our friend, Justin Bourne from Sportsnet was singing the praises of Kent Johnson and saying that he's watched him like one game and he's already in love can uh, you guys speak to what makes him such a special player? Yeah, honestly, I'll give this one to Mitch because I think his data would probably do a better job than me just blabbering on about him. Well, he did not have a good game statistically at 5 on 5. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Bad eye test, Justin. <laughs> yeah, uh-oh. Uh, no, Kent, Kent Johnson is just such a, an electrifying puck handler. Like, he has creative... Okay, saying he has creative solutions to a problem is like an insane understatement. This guy has the most creative solutions to any problem. Uh, he had one sequence along the boards where he kind of toe dragged the puck a little bit, lost it, and then pulled it back with his foot. And like it created this like weird kind of change of pace hesitation. So the defender is like, what? And then goes back the other way. And then Kent Johnson's like way gone already. And so it's just the, the way that you can put him in these tricky situations and he is going to find a way out of them with the puck, with possession. I think in this game, some of his issues, as I mentioned earlier, were just that he was kind of blindly throwing pucks into areas where he was expecting his teammates to be. Spoiler alert, they were not on a couple of those <laughs> occasions. Uh, but he's, you know, he's dynamic. Like he's the opposite of how Wright plays. This is a guy who every single possession is going to be something insane. Speaking of something insane, uh, we've got to talk about Mason McTavish because. Uh... He was flat out incredible uh, for most of this game, especially in the offensive zone. And he really has basically patented a signature move in one game. Like I haven't watched him that much in his career, but already I know that he's going to do this like little fake move where he pretends to deke and just lets go of the puck. And it goes in between an opponent's uh, stick and their fit and their leg. And then he's got it on the other side. It's how he scored his first goal. And he did it, I think three other times in the first period alone. I mean, talk about creative solutions, but maybe one that uh, you may not want to try too often in this tournament before people figure it out. Yeah, I, I think the, the big thing with Mason McTavish is for, for a couple of years, at least, where everyone was like, man, like this kid's got the, the power element to his game. He's got the size. He's got the shot. He's got some skill. He just needs to get better on his feet. No, since his 16 year old season, in Peterborough, he's really improved his skating. And I think that's the biggest thing. He's working off his edges so much more. And he's able to do those moves like that, where he's able to kind of put the puck into space, get to it quickly, and then put his shoulder down, put his arm out and kind of block, protect the puck really well, and then just pull it to the inside and put it in the top corner on the opposite side. Like, it's just ridiculous some of the stuff he does, but he's really a man amongst boys at this tournament. It's pretty fun to watch because you're like, man, like this is a guy that 
played at the NHL level and looked fairly capable. Like he wasn't dominating by any means at the NHL level, but he, he looked like a pretty decent player there. So seeing him at the world juniors now, seeing him in his brief time in Peterborough where he's torn it up pretty well, it's not completely shocking to see him doing this, at the world juniors. The, this first game back, he has a hat trick, 10 shots on goal, just like <laughs> all, you know, some of them were vintage Mason McTavish, like just finding space and setting up. And then others were this version of Mason McTavish, the guy who wants to be puck dominant and wants to create something. And part of what makes McTavish really special as a handler, like just as he does on that goal, is the first thing is body positioning, right? How he fights to get his lower half in front of the attacker's lower half or the defender's lower half. And he's such a strong dude that like sometimes he just like reaches out and puts his hand in front of the guy. And then it's like, okay, you're in front of me, but now you're on my back. Just like pull him like straight back behind him. Um, and then the handling. So the backhand thing that he did, a really clever little move, kind of an underutilized thing generally. But the basic idea is you're just kind of putting the puck on your backhand where generally players get pushed to their backhand. They aren't initiating the backhand handling. And so he's waiting for the defenseman to bite. And as soon as he bites, he just puts the backhand, uh, he just puts the puck under their stick off his backhand, collects it on the other side. Um, and when you're moving in like a curve like that at an angle with the puck on your backhand, uh, defenders move their feet. And so it's a perfect storm where he can just like move like that. He waits for the reaction and then pushes the puck into the space, gets down the other side. And then once he gets around you, you're never recovering. You're never going to be able to outmuscle him and get that puck back. Uh, yeah, there are so many dimensions to his game. Like he's going to be puck dominant in some games and other games, he's going to be a very strong off puck force who's finding space, creating chances for his teammates. He's always a valuable defensive piece and other games you are going to see him be more of a transition kind of playmaker. So his game really has so many different layers, so many different ways that he can take it. Like he is one of the most exciting prospects on the planet for, for just the variety of what he can do. Yeah, we hear often uh, from everyone who covers this tournament year after year that the power play is super important for this tournament. Short tournament seems like every time Canada wins, they have like a 45 percent power play efficiency. Did you guys like what you saw on the power play tonight? It seemed like that top unit was very strong, even though I don't know if they scored outside of the five on threes. I don't remember now. Maybe one at the end. Yeah, I think the Olin Zellwinger went at the end was a five and four, but I think they've got the skill to be a dominant power play. I don't see why this team wouldn't be a good power play. And when you're getting five on threes the way they did, especially the the penalty trouble Chechia got into there, where they got this extended five on three where power was able to put two into the net. And you're going to have a good time, especially against a team like Chechia, when you, when you have the skill and the, the talent that Canada has. I'm going to be more interested to see them against Finland, who's really a strong defensive unit. They, they play really well as a team. And then in the, the, the elimination rounds, when they play Sweden or the U.S. or Russia, not Russia, Russia's something else, but any of those other teams, like it's going to be fun to see when they go up against some, some higher end talent that's a little bit more structured defensively. Yeah. All right. So we're going to probably, we're going to move from this on to, we're going to talk about the uh, canceled, under 18 women's world cup in a couple moments here. I've got a couple more points from the game, but I know some people want us to talk about that. And I know uh, three white guys, you really want us to talk about it. <laughs> so we're, we're, we're going to tell you what we think about it for sure, but I'm sorry if uh, it's three white guys talking about it today. It's just the way it works out. Um, two things that I wanted to talk about before we get to that was uh, the second Canada goal where 
there were some people who th- think that it was a uh, goaltender interference and there was obviously some contact with the goaltender before the goal. But where do you guys stand on that? Should Chechia have uh, challenged that or was it a matter of uh, Malik or Malik? I forget which was the proper pronunciation kind of tried to sell that a little bit and got caught. Uh, it was interesting because I think he, he did kind of sell it. And I think in most scenarios, it probably would have been a goaltender interference thing, but because Perfetti got out of there and because Owen power, like almost like waited for the, the crease to clear before he shot the puck off the goalie, it, it almost made it like not worth challenging, but yeah, it was a weird one for sure. Gotta be honest, I don't remember the I don't remember remember the goal. <laughs> Didn't stand out. It was the worst goal of the game. We'll put it that way. It was the only one that wasn't really spectacular, pretty much. But uh, basically, Perfetti got into the goal crease, knocked uh, Malik into the net, and then got out of there. And Malik kind of like went down and held his head a little bit, and the puck came out to the point, and it got uh, shot on the net and went over his shoulder as he was like just starting to get up. It was a it was a good bit of time between the contact and the shot, which I think is why they didn't challenge. But for a few people that I saw, they were saying like, why was that not goaltender interference? My opinion is that he got caught selling and they weren't going to call a goaltender interference. Yeah. I'm watching it now. And I think, I, I think that's probably the right, the right take on this. Yeah. And the last thing that I want to talk about in this game is uh, how can we not talk about it? Ivan, 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 what kind of legend has three names that are the exact same. Who is this have, guy, and why have I not heard of him until now? I have bad news. It's actually only Ivan Ivan or Ivan. Okay, so there was a mistake on the broadcast? Yeah, there was a okay. mistake. So he is he sits with Marcel Marceau, who you're going to see at the tournament next year. No uh, With just double-named players. So, uh, yeah, it's unfortunate. The world is a cruel place. You know, they can't allow us to have this, but this is the way it is. So yeah, it's I only it was- Ivan Ivan. We're not quite at Ivan cubed. Only Ivan squared. Yeah, I think it was, depre- it was the the depressing moment came when the Cape Breton Islanders were the ones that tweeted out breaking news. We talked to his billet mother and it's just two Ivans. <laughs> oh, man. I mean, I hope that he's an amazing player because I would <laughs> like to see Ivan Ivan in the NHL. I think that's fantastic. This game was like a smorgasbord of amazing names, honestly. There's some excellent ones, some excellent ones on Team Canada. I feel like like neighbors should be calling his line mates like neighbors, neighbors. And he's mean too. He's not a very good neighbor, man. Like he's, <laughs> you see what he did, David Yurchek early in that first oh, period? <laughs> Twice he got him. <laughs> yep. Yep. I mean, and Gooley was out there running around. He was taking names. Like it was, it was a tame game for Gooley on the physicality side. Yeah. Too. Like he was, he, he was under control, man. <laughs> I, I do wonder with the guys like that on the blue line, if uh, Canada starts getting in some penalty trouble here, because you saw how that happened and how that turned the game or in a lot of respects for uh, Czechia. So uh, it could happen, but uh, okay. So before we talk about the women's uh, world championship, I got to hawk the uh, stuff. So check out the SDPN merch store, get an amazing mug or a cool shirt. And uh, make sure that you subscribe to the podcast everywhere you can find podcasts. And if you like the show, hit a like on uh, the YouTube page here. It helps us and uh, tell all your friends about it so they come and tune in as well. So let's talk about uh, the canceled, for now at least, uh, under 18 Women's World Cup or Championship, sorry. Um, the IHF basically 
told everyone that it was the federations that couldn't afford it. Uh, the Swedish Federation today, or it might have been last night, said that that wasn't the case and that they were completely willing to put on the tournament and are comfortable doing bubbled tournaments. And then Ontario's uh, Women's Hockey Federation said they were willing to host it. Where's the disconnect here, in your guys' opinion? Because it seems like there are solutions to have this go forward to not be cancelled two years in a row. And if it's not a financial issue, what what's the holdup? Why are we shelving two years of development for women's hockey? The, the great, the or not the great, the horrible part about all of this is that every sports league that has ever existed lost a ton of money when it first started. And the tournament that we're talking about that we're covering right now was not really a thing that was on the radar until TSN was sitting there with the rights and was like, okay, I mean, it's at a good time. So let's see if we can convince the Canadian people that this is part of the institution. And you could very easily do that with a women's under 18 championship or even a women's under 20 championship, which doesn't currently exist, which is phenomenally awful. Like, like that is, that is indescribably terrible that there is not an under 20 women's world championship. Not, not just because that a having an under 20 championship players are older, a little bit more mature, a little bit more talented. It's going to be faster paced, more marketable hockey than the under 18 equivalent but also because it provides an incredible development opportunity for a lot of these players who uh, don't get the same exposure that their male counterparts do. Yeah. And I, I, to piggyback on, on Mitch's point there, I think the fact that they're, they're canceling the, the women's under 18s yet again, in, in I, I think it was Julie Robinheimer that tweeted at us after we kind of discussed it a little bit on Twitter. And she was saying that team Canada or hockey, Canada, hockey, USA, they foot the bill for the world under 18s last year and the world juniors the last couple of years. And, and now we're seeing Sweden say that they're willing to do it. And why won't the WHIF do it? And, and we, we, the only reason really is it's a women's tournament and they don't want to at this point. But like Mitch said, getting that world under 20 tournament, if that, that became a thing, like he said, that's another opportunity for these girls to develop. That's another opportunity for just to showcase the game because we see so like we watch the world ordinary teens. I know Mitch and I both watch it intimately every year. And, and while I think that's a big event, it's not what the world juniors is. If TSN jumped on board and got the women's world juniors going a month later, a couple months later, I, I think they could do just as good of a job of developing this. And, and then like Mitch said, you get some of these girls that don't, that don't necessarily get to play on the women's under 18 team. Cause they're not quite developed yet. By the time they're 20, maybe they've changed. Maybe they've d developed. We see it all the time with the men's side of the game where they're like, oh, this player never played for Canada up until the World Juniors, and now look at him. He's a key member on the team. And I think you're losing out on a lot of stories. I think you're losing out on a lot of drama. And, and at the end of the day, you're losing out on development for women's hockey. Yeah, I'm this so glad you guys brought than... up the under 20 because so. this is not a point that I've heard talked about so far. And sorry to interrupt you there, Mitch, but just to kind of – I just realized that I have the names swapped on on the show. You're you got the wrong names under here, but anyway, uh, to get back to the under twenty, I don't want to be Tony. Come on, yeah, you're I Tony now, Mitch. I'm Tony, sorry. So I've I've won here. This is a big win for me. <laughs> I, I'm gonna have to shave my head and everything like that. I was just oh. starting to be happy with my hair. And, oh God, <laughs> yeah, that's a unfortunate. It's It'll a be fixed for, for the next show, I promise. But <laughs> uh, so the under twenty thing is so interesting to me because I'm thinking back now and. The moment when Christine Sinclair, to put it in another sport, captured everyone's hearts was an under 20 women's hot or women's soccer tournament, right? And 
the fact that like the men's under 18s like don't get near the push that the under 20s do it makes so much more sense to create a women's under 20 hockey tournament and push that and i mean push the under 18s as well but push that as like the the next big thing for women's hockey because that it's absolutely wild that they don't have that yeah and this runs deeper too like this is this just is an extension of the inequality that exists for not just women in general, but also for women in sports. You see this everywhere, you know, with pretty much every sport is that women are afforded fewer developmental opportunities. You know, there are fewer showcase events. They generally don't get the same level of coaching. They don't get the same level of resources put towards their development. And then it becomes this kind of self-fulfilling prophecy of, oh, you know, they're not talented enough to do this or we can't have them on this channel because people aren't interested in it because they think the quality of the sport is worse, which A, not true. But the second part is it would be better if you were putting money into it from the very beginning. So it's very like it's one of these subjects that isn't isn't delicate at all. The solution is very obvious. But for whatever reason, we just continue to have a discussion of you know, trying to figure out the the sort of false argument that we've created. Yeah, yeah and I, I, I had a sorry, Tony, go ahead. I was going to say to piggyback on, on Mitch's point there and, and a little bit on your point, going back to Christine St. Clair, I think a couple of years ago when we watched the NCAA tournament kind of bubble up and try to do their thing, we, we saw those pictures get released from the women's tournament where it was like, here's here's a couple bands and some uh, small rack of dumbbells, whereas the men had like this entire oh, fitness yeah. center to do their thing. And you go back to that, you go and you go back to women's hockey tournaments. You hear stories all the time where even the women's under 18s versus the men's under 18s, the facilities are just completely different. The, the setup is different where the, the men's system gets so much more given to them. It's because they're funded more. And it, it's just one of these things where it's like, yeah, you know what? Like someone needs to step up and go, you know what? I'm going to maybe lose money this first year, but that's because we've lacked so many years in a row that, that we haven't given them the chance to actually get to the point where they can be profitable and they can be doing this thing because the game is fun. Like I, I, I don't know how many times I'm watching the Olympics and the women's game is the one that I'm more entertained by because the Canadian men are dominating or something like that. It's, it's unfortunate really. Yeah. I had a conversation with this about this uh, relatively recently. I was talking about like of the 10 best hockey games that I've watched in my life. I feel like five of them are women's hockey games and I've watched 50 times more men's hockey games than women's hockey games in my life. So that should tell you a lot about how intense the high-level women's hockey is. Like at the Olympics, like you mentioned, how many women's gold medal games have been better than every single men's gold medal yeah. game? You know, like it's just not even close. So the fact that we just sit on it, and you know, I I talked to I was talking to a friend of mine recently when this was first announced, and he was saying like you know it's part of the IIHF's mandate to grow the game. They say it is. Like they put that in their public relations and everything and their press releases. But do you believe that the IIHF thinks that it has that mandate or are they just do they just like to control and profit from international hockey? You're telling me that a corporation. Oh, never mind. This is sorry. This is the wrong podcast. Uh, Hold on. Is FIFA <laughs> evil too? I, I was just going to say that is FIFA out to get money or are they there to grow the game? No, it's it's a corporation. It's it's sad. And I think they're actually currently listed as a nonprofit, which is interesting considering uh, some people did some digging as this tournament came out and the IHF was like, well, you know, we don't want to step in and 
fund everything that they're sitting on something like uh, close to 40 million in liquid funds. So they could step in and just fund a tournament. Like we, we there is, there's safety issues and uncertainty of course, because of COVID, but that's true of this tournament as well. It's just that this one is a very clear moneymaker, right? And the short term thinking from hockey in general with women's hockey and I mean, from all in a lot of areas, but women's hockey to be specific is crazy that like, Oh, well, you know, if we're not immediately making money hand over fist right now, then it's not worth investing in. It's the same kind of stupidity that you see with the NHL oftentimes where they don't want to invest in something because it's not an immediate money, money maker win like 10 years down the line, it might be their biggest. Yeah, it's really unfortunate that, like I said, it, it's going to take someone stepping up and going, I don't care what happens here. My goal isn't to make money off this tournament. My goal is to grow the game and, and truly mean that because at, at this point, we don't have anyone that's willing to step up and do that outside of the players who are trying to run the PWHA or, or run the, the PHF kind of getting that going. And it, everyone's kind of trying to do their own thing, but no one has the support behind it of, of an NHL or a, a real power backer. Yeah, it is incredibly unfortunate. Um, we're trying to keep these shows a little bit shorter than uh, the Game Over Montreal feeds, so we're probably going to wrap it up shortly here. But did you guys have any closing thoughts on the game or on the IIHF and this whole controversy before we close up shop here? I got nothing. Canada looked <laughs> like Canada always does to start a tournament and uh yeah they're they're gonna probably medal there they always do they're gonna they're gonna be a really competitive team they gotta figure out their defensive issues they gotta figure out what they're gonna do when they face a little bit more of a high-powered opponent but unfortunately they really only have sweden to kind of push that because their group isn't the strongest and it's gonna be like a, the last couple of years i think where we go okay now now that we're going into the elimination games what's gonna happen because now they're gonna face a sweden or a, a russia who defy despite the fact that they don't have any defensemen worth talking about really they have some offensive pieces that can kind of push the pace. I mean, we watched Mitchov, Mitchkov score two goals basically accidentally today. So it's going to be fun to see what, what some of these high-powered offenses do against Canada because, like I said, their defensive issues are a little hit and miss right now. My, my final thoughts are uh, Logan Stankova needs a game, please. Can we please yes. have this? And Connor Bedard needs more ice time. Connor Bedard had some fantastic shifts in this game. And then later on, he's like, Hmm. If I start hitting people, maybe I'll get to play more. <laughs> and then he just started hitting people. <laughs> oh man. He's, he's looking at Will Cooley getting all that ice time and going, do I hit a guy five seconds after he passes and be completely <laughs> inconsequential or what do I do? That's the way to get ice time in Canada. I mean, that's just the way it goes. Uh, I do want to push back on one of the commenters here before we close it up. Everyone's saying, uh, he's saying everyone talks a good game with women's hockey, but nobody's going out there willing to pay hundreds of dollars for a ticket for their games or making donations. Uh, lots of people are actually. There is a lot of grassroots movements. Ah, there you go. Tony wearing a PHWA uh, PA uh, sweater right now. Lots of people are. So that's total BS. And also, um, I've watched every World Juniors since I was like young enough to the point where I don't remember it. I've only gone to like three World Juniors games in my life, and one of them was just because I got tickets super cheap for the gold medal game when they were here in Montreal because they weren't selling out. Right, so. Uh, that's bull. Uh, most of the times that like when they came to Montreal the first time I didn't go cause they were asking like $400 a ticket and I wasn't going to pay that for a junior game, you know? So that's just 
BS. You know, that's like saying that uh, you aren't watching the juniors. You don't care about the world juniors if you're not watching junior hockey every day. Just because somebody isn't able able to or has time to buy tickets doesn't necessarily mean they aren't supporting. The fact is they need to put the damn stuff on TV and they need to promote it because that is how they make money eventually. You, you fill those arenas, you fill full arenas by getting people to know that the product is out there. Someone with the power to actually invest at the macro level, not the micro level like individuals, has to put the money in and get these women on TV regularly, push the tournaments as important as must-see TV like we did with the World Juniors through TSN, and it will happen. It's the way things work in this sport. I mean, you get Canadians riled up about hockey, they're going to watch. Whether it's in the arena or at home on their TV, the women will start making money. I have no time for people saying like, oh, well, you need to personally fund a women's league. No, I'm a sports reporter. I don't make millions of dollars a year. People who make millions of dollars a year and the actual like major corporations, they're who needs to fund it. Yes, you want to support it. And yes, you want to support them at every opportunity that you possibly can afford. But putting that moral obligation on the average hockey fan is stupid. So I'm sorry that you're can't understand that disconnect there but we're going to end it on this uh support women's hockey however you can or however you want to and if you don't want to that's fine too but to say that it's not worth supporting or that people don't support it for real because they're not buying tickets to an event they might not even know about is dumb all right so we'll see you again in a couple of days here back on game over juniors it was a great conversation here with Mitch and Tony before we close out. Uh, first, Mitch, and then Tony, tell us where to find your stuff. Go on epringside.com. We got all great World Juniors coverage on pretty much every player at this point. I'm uh, gasping my last breaths after <laughs> writing these last two months to prepare for it. And then head to our YouTube page after this is over. And then go watch my video on Caden Gooley. Go watch David St. Louis' video on Matt Bay Mishkov or my one on Connor Bedard. Uh, and you know, maybe stick around, especially if you're a Leafs fan, there might be something fun coming for you in a few weeks. And as for me, you can find all my work at the Hockey News. Uh, I'm doing tons of daily stuff for the World Juniors. We've got a ton of content already as well. Um, and, and as Mitch is plugging YouTube, I, I guess I might as well as well as myself. I, I've got some game tape videos, including one with Brad Lambert, who had a pretty sweet day today uh, at the World Juniors. So check those out. I go over some game tape with the player themselves in an interview format and kind of get their take on their own game. So it's kind of fun. All right. Thanks so much, guys, for coming on here with me tonight. And thanks, everyone, for watching, except for the person who is trying to crap on women's hockey. Because <laughs> we all love women's hockey here, and we... Love the World Juniors, and we can't wait to be back with you against uh, Germany next. Yeah, Germany next or Austria. Someone they're going to get beat up. One, one of the two. Canada's going to win. That's what's going to happen. You know, fin Finland is the first loss. real challenge. Yeah, I would say Andrew's getting so confident after one win of being used <laughs> one to win, yeah. losses. <laughs> I watched so many losses this year, like one comeback win. I'm like, oh my god. Yeah, <laughs> Nikita Kwab 55 save shutout incoming. Just you. Oh wait. my God. Yeah. Can you imagine? People will not shut up about the show being cursed. But anyway. <laughs> 
BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Maryland. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code OLDLINE150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Maryland today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days from issuance. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional not available in Washington, D.C.